so great to be back with you. Um, I was out last week. Uh, my dad did a great job, though, didn't he? I mean, Pastor Larry was here just ministering the Word, and we love that. Today, we're going to be, be beginning a new series. Um, we're calling this our history series. You didn't know it, but you signed up for a history class today. And so um, here's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to be looking back into the Old Testament and, you know, a lot of us have a, a Sunday school background, but here at Victory, we don't have a Sunday school. So often we don't catch these um, these monumental, huge accounts that the Old Testament shows us. And some of us miss some of those big stories. And so in this series, what I want to do is we're going to be looking back at and I hesitate to call them stories because how many of you know it's not fiction? It's not a story. It's an account. And so we're going to be looking at some of those those, those accounts that had happened in the Old Testament, but we want to make sure that we have application for us here today. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the Israelites crossing of the Red Sea. And so we're going to be in the, in the book of Exodus, the 14th chapter. So if you have your Bible, you can, you can go there and we're going to take our text from Exodus chapter 14. We're going to be reading a considerable amount of scripture but how many of you know that the word of God is quick and it's alive and it's living and it's powerful and it's impactful and it changes things. Amen. So we're going to be reading a considerable amount of scripture before I start reading though, I kind of want to set the scene for you. Here's what's happening in Exodus chapter 14. Remember that the Israelites spent 400 years enslaved in, in the country under the nation of Egypt. And they, they served as slave labor there. Under the leadership of Moses, God was going to set the people of Israel free. So it took a minute to convince Pharaoh. Pharaoh did not want to turn the Israelites free. Part of it, can I just tell you this? Part of it was practical reasons because having slave labor is really good if you're trying to build a huge culture. So he had really cheap labor. So he didn't want to turn these slaves loose. It took 10 plagues the last of which was pretty dramatic before Pharaoh was ready to release the Israelites. And so by the blood of the lamb, the sacrificial blood of the lamb, Israel was set free from, from Egypt and off they went. This band of slaves off into the wilderness. The route they took was specifically designed by God. If you look back in Exodus 13 and 14, I mean 12 and 13, you'll see why God brought them the direction and had them travel in the certain route that they traveled. At the end of following God's direction for they travel, they, they found themselves camping up against the Red Sea. It was just this huge barrier that just kind of had them, their backs up against the Red Sea. And about that time, they turn around and they look and they see that Pharaoh had changed his mind and he was no longer willing to let them go. He was pursuing them. Now listen to me. He had gathered all the military might of the powerful nation of Egypt. This huge military machine coming after a band of people who had no military, no military experience, no military weapons. Israel looks up and they see that Egypt is, is bearing down on them with all this military might. And, and they had a response. They began to do something. And the Hebrew word for what they were doing is called whining. 
they began to murmur. And they went to Moses and like, hey, dude, not a good idea. They said, didn't we have, weren't there graves in Egypt? I mean, at least we could be buried in Egypt, but you brought us out here to die. And so they're not happy about the situation. So, you know, Moses is following God. The children of Israel are scared. They're murmuring, they're complaining. And here's where we pick up in our text. Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 13. And here's Moses's response. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Remember those t-shirts? Just stay calm. Now, you know what's interesting? I can't find anywhere in scripture previous to this where Moses knew what the plan was. He, he didn't, God hadn't told him what's going to happen yet, but he stands up and makes this declaration to the Israelites. There's only one thing that I can surmise from this is that this statement, this declaration was based solely on the fact that his faith was in the fact that God is faithful to his promises. It was just him rising up in his faith and saying, no, listen, this isn't going to be the end for you today. Now continue to read with me, verse 16 or 15, I'm sorry. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so Israel can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Now, apparently what had happened is Israel's whining. Moses turns to them and makes this great declaration of faith saying, quit your whining. And then he turns around and begins whining to God. Maybe the application for us today is this. If you're going to whine, whine to God. Right? So he's like, apparently he's crying out to God. After he made this great faith declaration to the people, he begins whining to God. But it's interesting what God says to him. Listen, he says, suck it up, buttercup. He said, stop your whining. But what else is interesting is apparently this is the first time that God is letting Moses in on the plan. He says, listen, take that staff in your hand, stretch it over the water, and you've got to catch this. Please listen to me. He did not say, stretch your hand over the water and I will divide the sea. He said, stretch your hand over the water and divide the sea. We just finished a series on prayer. One of the things we taught was that as believers, we have power and authority and dominion and we should pray as such. Do you see God saying something to him here? Now, stay with me. Don't leave the room yet because I'm, I'm going to back this up here in a minute. But God lets him in on the plan right there in the fly. And he says, take the staff Wave your hand over the water and divide the sea. Verse 17. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh in his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all of Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. 
Then the angel of God who had been leading the people of Israel moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned into fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and the Israelites did not approach each other all night long. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. Moses reached out his hand, but it was the Lord who opened up a path. Church, listen, if there's an application for us today, you and I have to stand up in the fact that we have authority. We've been given authority by our creator. We are not victims. We are victors in this world. So we need to stand up. We need to be obedient to him. We do not have the power to open the sea, but God does. But he expects us to raise our hand, us to be obedient, us to take steps of faith, knowing that God is faithful and that he will back up his word. So the sea opens up. So we, what, what Egypt didn't understand was that the God was using Israel in that moment. He was using them as bait for a trap he was laying for the Egyptians. See, the Israelites being where they were, they were bait moving Egypt into this because God had a plan for the Egyptians. Let's see what that plan was. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. When all of the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and the chariots and the charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh, of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. Moses' word to the Israelites in the King James, it says this, the enemy that you see today, you shall see never again. And one failed swoop, God wiped out, wiped out the power structure of Egypt. First thing we have to realize, church, please listen to me. This is not fiction. This actually happened. This actually happened. But the next question may be, Great story, Jody, but what does this have to do with us? Well, remember that we've said often that in the Old Testament, what we see is physical pictures of spiritual truths. So we can look at everything that we read in the Old Testament and find spiritual application for us today. So what is that spiritual application for us today? Well, in the book of 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the Bible talks about the, the Israelites passing through the Red Sea as their baptism. 
the crossing of the Red Sea was a physical picture of the spiritual act of water baptism. <laughs> Last week, well, I was, I was with a pastor friend of mine, and as we were talking, um, we were just kind of talking about what God's doing in his church and something that he's very passionate about that made me scratch my head and do a little, do a little studying this week myself. It's in the power of the sacraments of the church. Now, what does the word sacrament mean? It's there's, there's certain sacred things that we do as a church, water baptism being one of them. Taking the, the Lord's Supper together, communion together, you see that? Those are sacraments. Well, you know, something I think that we in the non-denominational world miss is that we are a little too informal with those things. Because what my pastor friend said to me the other day, he said, Jody, with every sacrament, there's a corresponding anointing. And these things we do, they aren't just little physical routines that we go through. We don't just take the Lord's Supper and have a little snack until we get to lunch. There's power in these things. And there's power in baptism. And there's a power that maybe in our informality we have missed some of you come from more formal church backgrounds and, and you were better at really honoring the sacraments. Of course, sometimes when we honor them, they just become, they're just dead, dead things we do. But maybe the, the pendulum is swung too far in, in one direction where we're so informal with these things that we miss the true depth and meaning of them. So this morning, I want to revisit the subject of water baptism, looking it through the lens of the children of Israel crossing through the Red Sea. First thing, just for theological reasons to help you get your theology right, the order of the way things happen here is important. Please listen to me. Israel first came out of Egypt. They were released from bondage by the blood of the lamb. That is a picture of salvation, of being born again. Then came water baptism. Some of us come from church traditions where we are, we are baptized at a, at a young age. But according to scriptural, the, the, the scriptural process, it's salvation, then baptism. In the book of Acts, the second chapter, when Peter is sharing the gospel and people want to respond to it, what do we need to do? He said, repent and be baptized. So the proper order is salvation, then baptism. If you hear what I'm saying, shake your head right now, okay? Let's just get our theology right. If you come from a tradition that taught that something different, let me lovingly say that's not scriptural. So the proper order uh, needs, to be, needs to be there. The next thing I want to point out to you is this. Now listen to me. Think about this. In the crossing of the Red Sea, there was two different groups of people who went in that Red Sea. We always focus on the Israelites, but the Israelites did not go into the Red Sea by themselves. The Israelites went in and then they went through. It was a journey of life for them. It was a journey of freedom. The, the Egyptians, they went in, but they didn't come out. Now, what does this have to do with anything? Turn in your Bibles with me to Romans, the sixth chapter, and I want to show you something powerful. You need to get your pens ready because this needs to be highlighted and, and uh, underscored in your Bible. In the book of Romans, the sixth chapter, we read Paul, his writings say this beginning in the third verse. 
Or have we forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. The crossing of the Red Sea was a picture of baptism. Listen, when we as Christians become born again, the first act of obedience we should, we should follow is being water baptized. But that's not just a physical act. We don't just go in a dry center and come out a wet center. It is not just the dunking of water. And some of us, we've become too informal. We've even said, you know, the baptism is strictly just a, a symbolic act. It's a symbolic act. Can I tell you, I believe differently. I believe there's an anointing on water baptism. And I believe something true and spiritual happens in the act of water baptism. What is it? Well, according to this verse, here's what it is. Listen to me. We go into the waters of baptism because we are dead. We die in the act of baptism. And then we are buried that's why we do baptism by submersion instead of sprinkling. If somebody on this planet and real life people, if they die, we don't sprinkle dirt on them. We dig a hole and bury them in it. The word baptizo, the Greek word baptizo means to submerge. So water baptism is this. It's a declaration that I have died and now the old me is being buried in the waters of baptism. And when I come out, I come out new. And here's what happens. Listen to me, church. Listen. In water baptism, the power of sin is broken over us. The, the sinful nature in us dies. Look at the red crossing the Red Sea crossing, the power structure that kept Israel in bondage in Egypt died that day. They didn't go away for a moment. They died. Bible's clear that every one of those soldiers died. The power that would keep Israel in bondage died that day in the Red Sea. I don't think I'm connecting with you like I want to. Are you following what I'm saying to you? The power that would keep them in bondage died that day. In water baptism, listen to me, church. When we go into the waters of baptism and our, we are dead and buried, when we come out, we come out with no longer sin being our master. The, the, the bondage of sin is broken over us. It's broken. Sin has no power over us. How many of you, that's good news? I'm not a victim of sin anymore. I'm not underneath the bondage of sin anymore. Now that is great news, amen? It's great news, but I know what's happening right now. Your mind is working. Your mind is working. And going, yeah, that's, that's good news, Jody. Then why do I still struggle with sin? Anybody in the room want to be honest? 
why do I still struggle with sin? Well, let's look back. Let's look back at Israel. You know, after they came out of that Red Sea and they began that 40 year journey around the wilderness, guess what happened? Every time they got in a tough spot, every time pressure was put on them, every time hardships came their way, you know what they said? I want to go back to Egypt. Yes or no? You know, I want to go back to Egypt. I want to go back to Egypt. Listen, Pharaoh was dead. The one that had the power to keep them in bondage in Egypt, he was gone. They still wanted to go back there though. It was their habits. It was their old mindset. It was coping mechanisms. The power of bondage over them had been broken, but in their mind, they still wanted to go back there. You know why you and I still struggle with sin sometimes? It's right here. Can I tell you, you were, if you came to the Lord an addict, after you're born again and water baptized, the power of that addiction is broken over you. It has no power over you. It has no power over you. It's not your master anymore. Why do I still struggle then? Old habits. It's old ways of thinking. That's why we have to get our mind renewed. That's why we have to look in the word of God and read verses like this in Romans 6 that says this, I am no longer a victim of addiction. I have power over this thing. That authority that has kept me in bondage is done and away with. The sinful part of me, it's cut away. It, I, it has no place in me anymore. That's the truth. That's the truth. Even when we're not walking in it yet. Even when we're not operating in it yet, that's the truth. We just, we just got to get our mind right. We just got to quit going back to those old things in our mind when the pressure comes, when hard times come. And if we continue reading here, jump with me down to verse 11 of Romans 6. And it gives us a recipe here that we need to learn. Please listen. This is the work worth the price of admission here today. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. In the very beginning in verse 11, it gives us the secret to this whole thing. Paul says, you are to consider yourself dead from sin. If you're reading in the King James Version, it says this, that you are to reckon yourself dead. In other words, the battlefield is here. It's here. It's here. And what I've got to do is I've got to feed myself on the word of God and find out what Jesus has done for me. I've got to find out that sin is no longer my master. 
And when my old habits push me there, or pressures put me there, or, or things, you, you, you know, the old escape mechanisms or coping mechanisms kick in, you need, we, need, we need to just learn to stand up and say, wait a second. Wait a second. I no longer consider myself under the power of sin. The power of sin has been broken over me. And I determine right now in the name of Jesus that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. For it is God who's working in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And I don't care if my mama did it and my, my daddy did it. And all the way down my family line, they were all uh, addicted to these things and under this oppression, it's broke over me in the name of Jesus and sin has no dominion and power over me. And I'm gonna walk in freedom. I I was an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I was addicted to porn. I'm not addicted to porn anymore. These things don't have power over me. We're going to have to stand up, make up our mind, declare our freedom. Come on. Somebody needs to stand up and say, free at last, free at last. Thank God almighty. I am free at last. We got to get it here church. Cause the truth is this isn't a pep rally. The truth is you're free. The truth is you're free. We're just going to have to learn to walk in it. And the enemy, he's going he's to trigger those old, those old habits. He's going to, when pressure comes, he's going to say, you just need to escape into that TV show or escape into entertainment or escape into that, that vice or whatever it is. We're going to have to learn to stand up and say, no, I'm reckoning that dead. That thing's done. That thing's over with. You got to understand, it's got to be as dead as Pharaoh and his army was at that moment of crossing the Red Sea. They were all the way dead. Remember the princess bride? They weren't just mostly dead. They were all the way dead. Isn't that a great show? I watched it again the other day. Billy Crystal. That's funny. We got to reckon it dead. And can I say something? I want to, I want to have one more application. I want to go here so carefully. Please listen to me because this is very relevant to where we are today. In our culture and in our society today, a couple of the big issues are sexual identity and even gender identity. And, and the world is struggling with this. And, it, and it's saying to people, if you have these tendencies, then it must be who you are. And I say this to you, church, please listen. First of all, I love you. Church, do we love people who struggle with those issues? Do we? Come on, come on, let them know. We gotta be better than that. I'm not here to condemn you, but I do love you enough to tell you the truth. And here's what you need to know is that if you're born again, if you've been water baptized, the power of that thing is broken over you. That is not who you are. Who you are is free. Who you are is a redeemed. Who you are is, is, is in the image of God. And I want to say to you, if you struggle with your sexual identity and you're born again, you need to stand up and say, that thing's dead. That thing's dead. It doesn't have power over me anymore. If you struggle with gender identity, you just need to stand and you're born again. You need to stand up and say, that thing's dead. That is not who I am. My identity is determined by the word of God, not by some compulsion that I have on the inside of me. We gotta reckon those things dead. Now, I'm not saying to you, this is easy, church. I'm not saying this is easy. The question is, how bad do we want to be free? How tired are we of being tripped up by the same thing over and over again? 
how tired. The truth is, sin has no power over us. Now we just gotta live like it. If you received this and it meant something to you, could you please let me know about it right now?